Hello and thank you for listening to episode 470 of 60MW. I'm Dave and this is another of our interview shows. And in this one we have a returning guest. I'm pleased to welcome back onto the show writer, director, editor, producer, Andy Mitten. Hopefully you listen to me and Andy and the rest of the Witch in the Window gang chat way back in August 2019. If you haven't, then I highly recommend that you go and listen to that. And I highly recommend as well that you also go and watch The Witch in the Window. Another film that I'm going to recommend to you is The Harbinger, which has recently played at Grimfest in Manchester. Great, great film. Uh, you'll hear all about it in this chat I had with Andy. Then hopefully you'll go and see it. It's currently doing the festival circuit. All being well, it will be available for all all of us to watch very, very soon. So as always, sit back, relax, get comfortable and listen to me and Andy chat all about The Harbinger. First of all, Andy, it's uh, it's so good to get you back on the show. I was lucky and I can't believe it's already four years since I watched The Witch in the Window at Grimfest. And it's three years since we chatted about it on the show. So welcome back. Thank you. Thank you, Dave, for having me. It's good to be back. That was one of my favorite conversations uh, on The Witch in the Window. And um, it was a special. It was, as I remember, we were in Vermont. We were, uh, mm-hmm. there were four of us all together. Um, and I cannot, I also cannot believe that was three years ago. My God. It's terrifying. crazy, isn't it? But it's it's nice to be back. Thank you for, for asking me. Oh, it's, it's my pleasure. I mean, I love The Witch in the Window. I love the Harbinger as well. I'll get that out of the way now. <laughs> we were sent an advanced screener of it because, of course, like I said, The Witch in the Window 2018 in Grimfest. You're back in Grimfest again this year with The Harbinger, which is awesome. And you've yeah. been playing a few festivals. And from what I've seen online, it's been going down really well, too. What, in your experience, what's it been like from where it's played so far? It's been better than I could have imagined. And to be fair, I'm one of those people who reaches that point in the process where I'm about to share it and I become completely full of terror and self-doubt and all <laughs> sorts of things. I'm braced for uh, the worst at that point. Um, but I just didn't know with this, with which in the window, which in the window, like kind of comes in the back door and uh, doesn't grab anything by the collar. It's sort of like, sneaky and subtle and i knew that this was a little bit more front-footed and was going to tackle some things that were a little bit more sensitive um so i didn't know um and it's been wonderful uh i you know when we premiered at fantasia i you know that was the first crowd i'd seen it with and you could feel them sort of take the full weight of the movie on and i felt Mm -hmm. the focus sharpen i was like okay i think i think we're gonna be okay because that's got to be such a nervous time I can only imagine, you know, the first time watching it with an audience, because, of course, you'd have seen it so many times before. But then that experience of having the audience there. And do you spend more time watching the audience than you do the the film and engaging their reactions? I'm literally covering them with my hands so that I can't (laughs) obsess over them. I've got my hands just blocking the lower part of my view because I'll read every little shift in a seat or God forbid someone has to get up to go to the bathroom. I'll think that's the apocalypse. And um, yeah, I'm really, I know filmmakers who, who really enjoy this part of the process. So it's like, this is it. I get to share it. And I wish I had, I wish I could enjoy the finish line because it's, it's hard to reach a finish line. It'd be nice to like celebrate, but I become a ball of nerves quite honestly. And um now it's getting a little better now that like the, the, the reactions are consistent enough. I can be like, okay, 
Yeah. Um, I'm excited to go on this next leg of, of festival circuits and share it with people. But at first I was, um, yeah, I just, I just, I just wanted to be, someone to take me out of the theater and put me in the bar. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I did mention in the intro to the, to the audio version of this show and longtime listeners that will already know the two things that we don't talk about in 60 MW. And this was right from the beginning was politics and then, of course, the pandemic kicked in. So I said, oh, okay, there's no COVID talk either because it's it's too diversive and we, we want to get away from all of that. This show, this show, Andy, is breaking that rule because you can you cannot help. I mean, COVID is an integral part of the story. I mean, for anybody that's not familiar with The Harbinger already, if you just want to give a quick overview of what the story is about. Sure. Uh, the Harbinger follows a young woman named Monique who uh, makes a difficult decision to leave her family quarantine bubble in the early stages of the pandemic to go help a friend in New York, an old college friend who's suffering from a terrible bout of nightmares that she's having increasingly trouble waking up from. Um, and our, our heroine sort of finds out too late when she arrives to help that the these nightmares and the force behind them are, are just as contagious as everything else in the world right now. And they, they, they have to, they have to face it together. I mean, that really is using for what was a really constrictive time for creative people and especially filmmakers like yourself of where you, you were, you were really hemmed in in what you were allowed to do and what you could do, but it's taking that and running with it and making it an integral part of the story, which I found quite fascinating while watching this. So where did where did the genesis of it? I mean, obviously the pandemic happened. Was this yeah. when did this fit in with that timeline, and how did it all begin to sort of gel together into the full narrative that you put together? Um, it was it was fast and inspired. Um, when everything shut down in 2020, we there was another movie I was hoping to shoot that summer. Um, it was not going to be possible, so I was mm. just another person whose plans were canceled. Um, and somewhere in late July, early August, I was just pacing the basement trying to think because my paradox was a lot of people were saying, let's do use the pandemic to do like a really small film in mm. like a one room setting or a lot of sort of chamber pieces yeah. uh, you see coming out during this time. But that wasn't really an option for me, having done Witch in the Window, having already already coming from kind of a chamber piece. It was like, we actually need more scope yeah. and we need more horror, but we need it to be safe. Um, and so this, this idea just hit me one night. Sometimes your muse is good to you. And um, it, the whole machine just sort of fell into my head one night. And before I wrote anything, I was on the phone with Richard King, my producer, and we were talking about it. And uh, we both love the film Jacob's Ladder. Oh, great film. Um, yeah, it's a great, this, and that was, that was sort of a tonal touchstone for me before I started writing because I knew I had sort of a Freddy Krueger-ish idea and a lot of people don't go this direction because they figure Freddy's got the market cornered. <laughs> um, but I just think there's more to do in dreams. And my yeah. favorite dreamy movie is, is, um, is Jacob's Ladder for how grounded it is and yeah. how you have this really warm protagonist moving through this cold space. And um, it's everything I, I like to do in my work. So just tonally, I went there and and um, I, I said, I'm going to use the pandemic, but I'm not going to write about it on the nose. It's going to be the gasoline mm -hmm. going into the engine, that collective dread, because I don't think you can ignore 
how rare it is for globally for all of us to have a shared dread. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. It's not anyone's war. It's not this regional thing. It's this, we all fought this together. And so there's a well there that as, as much as I get people are maybe like, I'm not ready for a straight drama about it. Mm-hmm. Horror is different. Yeah. 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 Horror gives you that cushion and that lens and, and horror audiences are not purely escapist. They just want the goods. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I've, I've learned that and I was, so that became my goal and um, started writing in August of 2020. We were shooting in February, wow. um, just a few months later. Yeah. That's a quick turnaround. Just going back quickly, you said you had originally got a film that you were going to do and then the pandemic kicked in. Is that something that you still want to do going forward? Yes. Uh, I, I hope it will be the next thing oh, we do. And I've had a little bit more time to think about it, but the, this is, this, the movie's been good already with making some inroads with you know some new people and, and hopefully being able to work with a, yeah. a, a bit more resources. I'm not looking for much <laughs> but uh it would be nice to to bring yeah to, to be able to, to to do things with a little bit more scope and, and sort of grow into a new chapter so i see the harbinger as sort of a a bridge builder hmm. that way that's good and with with the story you've got the story down when did then you start i mean the casting process must of course been different to what you used to as well and location scouting how did all of that work out well the casting was part of the production plan because mm. we were in New York and we, we were pre-vaccine, right? No one could see the finish line or knew when that would be yeah. coming. So for us, it was like the more we can do out of New York, the more we're going to avoid like three week quarantine times, things mm. that like studios can afford that stuff, we can afford shutdowns. We were, you know, we had no safety net. Yeah. Um, but what we had was the fact that theater had shuttered in New York and all of the city's best actors, some of the, greatest actors in the world who just you know uh normally are, are only doing theater or would at any other time be in the middle of a run of a show mm-hmm. were yeah. home yeah. and they wanted to work and i'm plugged into that community uh to some degree just through being a theater person myself my degrees in theater and my wife works in theater a lot so i tried to take that approach and yeah. see uh and and uh because we didn't have a casting director but um uh, we knew a lot of people. So pretty soon Emily Davis came on as, as Mavis. She had seen Gabby in another play. One thing sort of led to another and, and, and it all sort of came together and it was a wonderful collaborative experience. I mean, we all had a shared vocabulary. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was, I was just thrilled with, with the acting and, and, and how that, that came out. Um, and in terms of, uh, what was the other part of your question? Yeah, Sorry. the locations. How about the locations? The locations. Yeah. yeah, that was huge. We were going to try and shoot at this um, originally uh, in a studio that we ended up not being able to afford on like a soundstage yeah. so we could build the apartment because a, a large chunk of the story take, takes place in a queen's apartment. Mm. Um, and then I had a friend shoot a short film that she just posted on Facebook one day and I was looking at her film and I saw this beautiful brick exterior wall behind her. And it looked like she was in a large room. And so I asked her about it. Um, my, my friend, Angel Desai, who's a wonderful actress. And she's from Binghamton, New York. And she said, oh, that's in my hometown. There's a theater there that's closed down. They have this old decrepit opera house with all these scary spaces. And they also have a really clean black box theater and a bunch of empty space. Um, and, you know, we, we figured if they're down for it, they're not making their usual money as a theater. It could, it could work out great. So we took this big room 
and we built out the interior walls for, with the existing exterior walls and created our own little soundstage. Um, and it was great. We were able to put some of the walls like on wheels. So we had like moving walls and dream sequences and things came together um, out of that production plan that we wouldn't have had, including this decrepit opera house, which you see in the movie mm -hmm. representing a lot of uh, nightmarish spaces. And it, it was truly as scary as it is in the movie. It was What's terrifying it, yeah. to shoot. And it was terrifying <laughs> and also cold as a freezer, like, there were there was a period of time there where it's it's not a shoot you were feeling your toes very much oh in your shoes God. it was it was a tough one <laughs> it's incredible though isn't it like you said something as simple you just saw this video on facebook and then the way that the dominoes fall and you end up yeah. in what sounds like a superb location to film in that's crazy it was great it was great yeah production plans are cool that way it was the same with which in the window it was like this relationship with the college and all like no one's shooting in vermont because there's no tax incentive there but if you find these little nice two-way streets where you're supporting someone else yeah. and they're supporting you all of a sudden we've got a really good situation um, so that's yeah, happily how it worked out again. And it was, I love being on location. So it was wonderful just to be all together somewhere and not having my crew change over. Like we were, we were a family felt good. What was the best day on set for you? When you look back on it now in the making of it, is there any particular day or, or thing that happened that springs immediately to mind for you? Well, it's probably the sappiest answer, but what sprung <laughs> to mind when you said that was in the middle of the shoot um there's a uh there's a call a video call that happens between our main characters and a, a demonologist who's stuck at home mm -hmm. with her kids like everyone else and they have a <laughs> demonology uh session over zoom and we that uh the demonologist is played by my wife laura heisler and, and the two kids her two kids are my two kids and i hadn't seen them in a really long time because we couldn't once i was in another bubble i couldn't go visit them and they of were course, yeah. hundreds of miles away um so that on that day even though it was through a computer screen um i got i got to, to see my family and uh and work with them a little bit and uh connect my two worlds and kind of like when you know uh, the characters in the movie unmask and, mm. and have contact that they've been craving for the first time that's how i felt i just felt like you know reconnected um with my family and it gave me a surge of energy to, to oh, go forward down the home stretch oh that's great and that must make it a bit of a special scene in the film when you rewatch it now and then brings back that memory and of that time and i guess oh, being yeah. you know like a lot of us now being even more thankful for the simple things in life that we took for granted before all of this happened that's right no every time at around the 43 minute mark or whatever, when my kids suddenly <laughs> pop on the screen, it never fails to sort of surprise me and, and, uh, and delight me. So it's, yeah, it's, it's really nice. It is. You mentioned the cast. It is an amazing cast that, you know, they're all fantastic in it and everything just gels together. And one of the things I loved about the Harbinger is, which is one of the things I loved about the witch in the window. It's that, it's that slow build up and you're watching it and then, Without you knowing your hairs on the on your on the back of your neck and your arms, goosebumps appear and there's this sense of dread that begins to envelop me and you're thinking, Oh my god, what's gonna happen? Uh, <laughs> it must be so satisfying that to go from having the idea, putting it down into words, and then going through the whole process of filmmaking and then to see it on on a big screen with an audience and it's there in front of everybody. It's gotta be 
incredibly satisfying, especially when you said the, the reaction from the audiences has been really good as well. Yeah, it is. It's a it's a special feeling, I think, for the whole team to because that's part of why it's amazing is it it, it gets reborn in each phase. Mm -hmm. So even though it's a reflection of what I first thought that night when my muse came down with the story, it's also now this other thing that's full of all, <laughs> all the ideas of, of all these other, you know, more talented people whose ideas I get to sort of call and take credit for <laughs> at the end of the day. Like, you know, there, it was a wonderful, um, it was, it was my favorite sort of, uh, all around collaboration with mm -hmm. my department heads. Um, it was a really nice place uh, to come to work uh, every day, just for that. Not that we had many days. It was 14 shooting days on this. Whoa. Um, so it was very, very tight. Uh, but it, it just, you know, I often say to people, especially to the people in my life who don't understand horror or why I, um, as a, as a generally kind person <laughs> engage in horror, um, I always remind them that when it comes to fiction, it's like, the some of the warmest hearts i've ever encountered in the world mm -hmm. uh, are, are in the horror community yeah. and the heart of the community as a whole is very warm and that's how i like my sets to feel as as uncomfortable as the as the final product is going to be i totally agree with you i've had conversations before with people where the horror community and that's including the fans like myself and the filmmakers like you are quite yeah. often vilified in in the mainstream media and we're all evil and and do no good or anything but like you said i've always found horror fans and horror filmmakers the, the most warm and generous and, and kind and friendly and funny people yeah that i guess we're we're know. i think we're releasing things that they're just penting up <laughs> i think we're going we're actually facing things in the dark corners together in safe spaces and and there's a joy in that there's there's a lot of love that goes into it so it's it's yeah it's great. Oh, definitely. Is there anything in the Harbinger where originally you'd have liked to have had it in, but for any reason whatsoever, be it time constraints or money constraints that had to be cut out? Um, Interesting. Or even looking I back think, on it now, is there anything you think, oh, maybe I could have done that there? <laughs> well, there were certainly, I mean, there are dream sequences in the movie, right? And, and um, that's not something you normally tackle on a budget. But the theory of ours was grounded. So, so yeah, the rules get loose and, and um, you know, dream logic starts to take precedence over actual logic. But that doesn't mean it just goes completely over the top into a CGI world. Mm. Um, it means we had to experiment with ideas that were practical yeah. and grounded, like a moving wall, like something that... Um, we wouldn't have to fake and that it would strike to the uncanny. Mm. And I feel like when you're in that world, you try a lot of things. That's because you don't know at the end of the day um, what's going to work. So I think most of what's on the cutting room floor was just little bits of those dream sequences that um, where we were experimenting and we were, we were trying something. <laughs> um, and then those things get shaped at the end of the day yeah. and then they get really shaped in the sound design, which is oh, the sound. A, huge, yeah. a huge stage of this as well. Yeah. Yeah, the sound in it, it, it's, there's some really, again, creepy bits with it. The sound it can make such a difference to different scenes and, and really yeah. add to that sense of, of dread and just intense fear at times as well. Speaking of intense fear, I remember I watched the trailer for it to begin with before we got the press screener. And it's, it's things like, and I don't want to give too much away for people that haven't seen it, but there's a bit with a doorway and something appears at the top of the door frame. 
something like that. I'm talking about it now and I've got goosebumps. It's things it's things like that that really tap into, I don't know, like a primal part of my brain that doesn't make me feel comfortable. How do you come up with things like this that you go, yeah, that's going to make people squirm a little bit? Well, that's... I, I, you know, I think it's rooted in, um, I remember being in college, I took a class in that was uh, kind of comparing horror literature with film. Um, and it was a great class. And central to it was I was an essay on the uncanny mm-hmm. um, and learning about the uncanny and, and the thing that is wrong, but you don't know why or the thing that the, the unexplainable, intangible thing that like you're saying just kind of turns you inside mm. and makes you uncomfortable um it's a very particular thing um and i think from the beginning i've been really interested in it um and filmmakers who really use it well like david lynch is probably near the top of that list just in terms of that uncanny image that that it, it just unsettles you and you the longer you linger on it the more the, the worse it feels um so I, yeah, I go searching for those things, but sometimes you find them by accident. And the moment you're talking about in the film is a great example because what appears in the doorway that you're talking about was supposed to come out of a ceiling and that it was a budgetary oh, impossibility. Um, and so I, that was just a matter of looking around and having an idea that was having to being forced to have an idea that was doable. Um, and I think at the end of the day, as soon as I saw it, I was like, oh, this is better. And I don't even know why, which means it's uncanny. <laughs> I mean, because door frames, we all go through so many door, you know, through door frames every day at home, at work, anywhere. It's, you know, it's a natural part of our life. So for suddenly to see this, what happens in one, you suddenly, I was, I've got to admit, because we watched it in the dark. And then when the film finished, I, my eyes were flicking over to the door of the living room and looking at the top. <laughs> thinking, oh. Yeah. That, well, doors and nightmares, right? I mean, the, what's I think part of why it works is she turns to the door, and there's a long beat before what happens happens. Yeah. And in because in dreams we know when something's approaching the door, even though we don't hear anything. You know, you you have that antenna of like, oh, yeah. I can see around this wall in my dream, and I know something's coming. And so to connect with that feeling that I think you know, we recognize or like that comes from certainly, you know, the documentary, um, the nightmare on mm-hmm. sleep paralysis. Yeah. That went in here to some degree too. That was another inspiration. Uh, Cause that movie scared me badly. And you watch <laughs> that movie and you think, Oh, am I now going to have this affliction because I'm watching the movie? Yeah. And there's just a little bit of that seed that I wanted to go into the harbinger. Just that little bit of, is this dangerous? You know? And there is, you know, I said at the beginning, I think there is, there is so much that people can relate to in this and latch onto, which, and, and then embrace it into their own lives that makes everything happening on screen. Even though, you know, a lot of it's out there, you can you think, yeah, this is real. I can imagine this happening to me. And it just makes it all, all the more scary. I think it was, I think it's a great film, Andy, you know, and fair play for you. And 14 filming days. Oh, my words. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> uh, now I've got The Witch in the Window. Obviously, I um, was I wrote the review for it. I loved it. I wrote in the review, if I remember rightly, oh, I can't wait for this to get a physical disc release. I'm a collector. I know it's early days yet. Harbinger, physical disc release, please, please. I don't I don't know anything officially, but I, <laughs> I, I, think, the out, I think the outlook is good. 
Oh, that'll be good. Um, yeah. Because I know it's going to go. It's going to go down a storm. It, all the festivals it has at the ones that it's played already. You know, it's going down really well. So I think there will be a lot of people wanting to buy this, Andy. Once once they've watched it, what are your plans now? Then, so you said, is it going to be the the film that you were originally going to do before this? started and if so is the how's how you're getting on because I, I know you must be doing press for the harbinger of course but when is the ball going to start rolling on the next film oh yeah it couldn't happen soon enough I'm just, <laughs> I, I mean i'm i'm desperate for pre-production and and i um i don't know what i know is um we've met a lot of good people uh the sort of people we want to work with and the sort of producers we want to work with. Um, and there's a lot of positive development going on, but I have a several scripts and, you know, there's the one that I mentioned, um, mm -hmm. which is sort of a cosmic horror, uh, thing that takes place in a solar flare. Um, and I'm excited about that, but I also, I I've got, I've got sort of my take on a slasher. I've got a sort of actiony trucker thing. I, you know, and I had a burst of writing, during COVID as well. Like a lot of people oh, did, it was, a, it was good. a good opportunity to write. So I've got this stack of scripts that I'm, I'm really like, my heart is in all of them. And a lot of people are reading them right now. And I don't know what's going to pop up first. I would love things to get in the way of each other. And that would be like the best problem <laughs> I've ever had. Um, but I'm definitely locked and loaded in terms of stories. Um, I'm full up with them right now. And I'm, I'm really excited to, to turn the page and, um, and to work with a bit more structure and uh, yeah, hopefully kind of enter my prime here and, and, mm -hmm. you know, go on a stretch and do my, do my best stuff. Oh, I hope so. I mean, if you ever want to set any in Wales, you're more than welcome over here oh, anytime. Please. I'm trying, I am trying to like get things going. It, it's, I have a connection to, uh, to the audiences out there. There's, you know, a lot, there's not a lot. It's not like I'm a big filmmaker. I don't have like this big fan base, but what there is of people who seem to be interested in my work, there's a, a lot of them out there. And so I try and um, uh, I've been trying to come out there and, and build relationships there. Um, you know, my ancestry is there anyway. So I, I, I feel a kinship and, and, a, and a love with the audiences there. I really do. Well, unfortunately I can't get to Grimfest this year, which I'm gutted about. Obviously, having missed it the last few years with COVID, I mean, we, we've been sent press screeners every year, so I've reviewed the films from watching them at home. But there's no substitute for being there in person with fellow like-minded people, meeting people like yourself. You've got filmmakers and, and actors there that you can chat with. So I'm kind of gutted that I can't be there. I'm really happy, though, that I got to watch The Harbinger and have this chat with you. Hopefully, we'll meet in person at some point. And yes. uh, hopefully, yeah, you, I mean, you're always welcome on the show anyway. So please keep me updated with everything that you're doing. And every time you make a film, just come on and let's have a chat about it. And uh, yeah, all the, all the very best for The Harbinger. So glad it's going well up to now. And you've got a lot ahead with it and, and the best of luck. And, and, you know, my thanks to everybody involved as well. You've, you've come up with a really good film, which, yeah, it, it sent a few shivers up my spine, to say the least. <laughs> I appreciate that. And thank you in return for another, you know, really thoughtful, wise conversation. I will look forward to it every time. And uh, I appreciate very much your support and what you do. So thank you. Oh, thanks, Andy. Well, for the sake of the edit, we shall say our goodbyes, but hopefully we'll be saying hello again very soon. So thanks again, Andy. Yes. Thank you. And the alarm bell, as always.
brings to an end another interview show. Great to have Andy back on the show. Hopefully have him back again in the near future about his next project, which I'm very much looking forward to. As you heard, he's got lots of projects ready and waiting to be made. I'm dying to see which one will be next and, of course, to watch it. Uh, The way that you can support us, please go to 60mw.co.uk. That's numerical 60, not alphabetical. Everything that we do is on there. And the best way to keep up to date with everything we do is via Twitter. If you follow us on there, it's at 60MW Podcast. Again, numerical 60, not alphabetical. Thank you for listening. We have many more format shows, many more interviews already lined up as I sit here recording the outro to this show. So if you like your interviews, uh, there's those coming. There's lots more of the movie shows, entertainment, video games, music. We cover it all. Hopefully you know that already. Tell your friends about us. Thank you for listening and we'll be back again very soon.